You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. All right, Calabunga guys. It is finally time to talk in depth all things The Last Ronin. Before we get there, we are systematic geekology, which means we are, in fact, the priests to the geeks. And for all of the geeky goodness that your heart could desire, check us out, facebook.com slash systematic ecology, or join our group, Priest to the Geeks. Or if you want to help us keep the lights on, patreon.com slash systematic geekology. There are tons of extras and bonus episodes for you guys over there. So... Before we get underway, let me go ahead and introduce myself. I am Joe. I am one of your hosts here. I am a, a broadcaster, podcaster, and I have... I Man, guys, I am still neck deep in geeking out over turtles. Uh, with everything that I've been reading up on and all of those kinds of things, I've been going back through the uh, 2003 cartoon, uh, because I really think that that is a... a wonderful modern cartoon take on the turtles nice nice well i'm joshua knoll i am a fourth year biblical study student getting ready to graduate so that's kind of cool and um i i got a weird one i've been geeking out on recently um i recently discovered that the xbox ultimate game pass allows me to play xbox on my phone and the first month is a dollar so I was like, I'm going to subscribe for a month and beat all three Fable games because I love them so much and I'm not willing to pay $15 a month. So <laughs> I am trying really hard every you know bathroom break, every walk. I'm like, you know what? Let me just let me just bust out Fable real quick, see how much I can get through. And um, yeah, I'm having a blast with it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I am Will Rose. I'm one of your hosts as well on Systemic Ecology. Uh, glad to talk about turtles. It wasn't turtles aren't like real deep in my fandom, but they're definitely in the zeitgeist of of all that um, in the world of of geekiness. And so so glad to talk about these things. And you know, with Cowabunga, that's kind of deep cut surfer lingo. And um, we're getting closer to summer, and I was able to take my daughter out for a surf lesson last week. Uh, went down to the coast and. That was fun. And and I will suggest there, there's a lot of things to stream. There's a lot of documentaries. Uh, but if you have Apple Plus, there is a um, documentary about the World Surf League. The WSL is the NBA, the NFL, uh, the NHL of uh, surfing. And there's a world tour and they crown a world champion at the end of the year. And if you want to know all that goes into pro surfing and behind the scenes and what pro surfing is and isn't or the, in its current state, uh, you can watch that documentary and it's um, uh, a number of, of episodes and it's super good. I watch all the contests. I stream them online, uh, but this goes behind the scenes on Apple Plus, And so I highly recommend it. If you want to know what pro surfing is right now, um, go check it out. It's super fun. This uh, this reminds me of a pitch. So we're just going to do this live. Uh, I want to do an episode where we all cover those things that are like too out there to do an episode on. Like uh, mm -hmm. where Will can talk about geeking out on surfing and I can talk about geeking out about trains and TJ can do airplane models and ping pong. And we can just all do those things that we all like that are pretty much just exclusive to us. Yeah, everybody geeks <laughs> out. It'd be something. a fun episode. <laughs> everybody geeks out on something. That's for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. Joe, so, what's your most out there thing? Oh, I think I'd have to think about that. Uh, probably um, I, I collect knives. And so like, That's uh, pretty cool. I, I get real geeky about like the intricate work for like that goes into handles or like painted pieces, different things like that. We're talking yeah. about like, I've got a couple of more functional um, knives, things like hmm. that, that I collect, but like, we're talking like big show pieces and things like that, that are more designed than actual. Which leads in to (laughs) the last Ronin because he collects lots of weapons and knives uh, from his teammates and brothers. So uh, yeah, I didn't know who this last Ronin was and I don't know when to go that yet, but, um, but anyway, like I'll just say that this particular like comic graphic novel storyline I um I didn't know that much about the turtles. So I had to kind of deep dive while I was reading it to kind of learn some of the history. So some of the surprises and, and nostalgia didn't hit me quite, but it was fun learning along the way uh, the characters as I was reading this and, and going behind the scenes and reading about them and doing a little bit more studying. So uh, I'll lean into Joe and what he was he surprised at who the last Ronin is or not. That was a that was a real smooth transition, man. I just gotta say. Um, so for me, uh, being being a diehard fan, I couldn't have seen it anybody uh, as anybody else other than Mikey. I I pretty much figured right out the gate that as we like as this is unfolding and you're seeing the Dark Knight, but with turtles and things like that, like knowing the original Mirage run and all of that and kind of knowing the steps of things. I just, I know for a lot of people, they thought it was Raph. And to me, that's a little too on the nose to like, if you're, if you're subverting all expectations, I don't see as anybody other than Michelangelo as the last Ronin. What do you think, Josh? Who did you have uh, a thought of who you thought it was before they revealed it? Um. So honestly, uh, when I went into it and I was like, "Oh, who's the last Ronin?" and I'm like reading that first issue, my first thought was of the four, just from very limited knowledge from mostly the video games, as I mentioned in part one of this, um, was uh, it really has always felt like. Leo and Donatello were already the more mature, more leader like turtles. So when I was thinking about it, of who had the most character growth to go through, that was my first thought was this is going to be whoever has to do the most growth. So I was between Mikey and Raphael and the fact that he was already that he was in my head. If it had been an older turtle who was a lot more gentle now, it would have been Raphael. It would have been he, you know, softened over time. But the fact that he had all the rage made me think, okay, this is probably Mikey. Yeah. It's, uh, I think one of the, the coolest things about this story, and we, we lightly touched on this um, in our conversation. And we hit on this when I talked to Eastman, they, this is a, this is a 30 year story that came out like something like 32 years from when it was written so it's pretty on the nose wow. in in the way the that it, when it was developed and when it was meant for and that sort of thing and so a it, it's written in such a way that you 
just the, the 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 intentionality and the time and the purpose and all of those kinds of things you you're catching lightning in a bottle in certain regards with this story because it was literally made for this time but that being said on top of it thematically when when you're going through the original mirage run one of the big story beats is revenge on the shredder and all of those kinds of things and like family honor and all of that and like that those are very significant story beats to the they really tried very hard to capture the essence of the culture of like the the ninjutsu and and everything that they were that they were being taught and and that that part of it and so to to have what the way that they wrote Mikey what had to happen had to happen in order to thematically resolve that part of it and for him to co- have to go through the cycle of fighting for the honor of his family and coming to understand what peace is and all of those kinds of things it it just it's so eloquently put a a bow on that part of the storyline when it would have been enough i think for people that are like yeah michelangelo he's the funny guy he's he's the the super and and then to have him go like dark and broody and and really dig into that portion of the dark knight I think it would have been enough to stop there for a lot of fans, but the fact that they went the extra mile to then tie up the thematic points that were started at turtles issue one. I just, those are the little things that I think this is one of those stories. And I said this to, I said this to Kevin that I, what I, my honest, my honest hope for this story is it, it walks those two worlds of being a great entry point for new people that like, dude, if you want to see just things go banana, just, just nutty stuff going on, go ahead and read this, this, uh, mini series, but also for like those, those longtime fans, those ones that have invested the time and the energy and know the story beats and all those kinds of things. This is very much a love letter to the established fan as well. All of that long-windedness. Yeah, I wasn't really surprised about my, about it being Mikey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know, they all have different colored like uh headbands or masks that they wear around their eye, you know, so that distinguishes them. So this first issue has uh someone in in a black and and so you don't know who it is. So they don't reveal it to the very very last page, which is why I love yeah. comics. That that big last reveal on the last page, last page to keep you reading to figure out what's going to happen next is and, and so I thought that part of the storytelling was great. Um you know, I I so so I guess are the, did Eastman say that this is going to be a movie or a cartoon or a big epic, uh, live action? <laughs> so you, I, so to... I very purposefully and and to to peel the curtain back a little bit. This isn't the uh, episode one hasn't aired yet since the, at the time of this recording, right. and so I uh, yeah no I, I I very specifically said all right. So one of our so one of our co-hosts wanted me to ask you and I and I I asked him and and there's nothing on the docket yet though he's hopeful that it it kind of it gets a similar treatment to Batman versus uh TMNT like that sort of cool. animated approach uh because 
Seth Rogen's uh, movie is next up on the docket as far as as far as major motion pictures. So they're not going to create something to compete with that, though. I'm like the, the, the part of my brain is like, yeah, never mind his just scrap scrap his project. I understand millions <laughs> were already spent. I understand. Just scrap it. What's his project? It What's, I'm he's sorry. he's doing a, like a more kids oriented turtles movie. Gotcha. That's supposed to be coming out next year. Yeah. But um so so I want to I want to touch on you had mentioned the way that they revealed Mikey as the last Ronin on that last page reveal all of that and one of the biggest complaints that I hear from people as far as that goes is that it kind of slows down in the middle and I think that's part of where the issue lies is they set the precedent for that that final bombastic uh reveal but i don't think that that was the same they didn't take that same motif through every single one of the issues where every single one is has you waiting until the last page and all that but i do think that each one of them tells their own individual act of the story i understand the typical act act structure is three this is more than three acts but i think that each one of these kind of acts as its own standalone part of the story that each one adds to this greater whole of the overall narrative being told yeah um as far as just the uh that first issue with Mikey and you weren't sure who it was, you saw all of the turtles there a few times, almost like yeah. ghost. And it reminded me of a, a comic Will and I reviewed a couple months ago, the, the Moon Knight by uh, Michael Bendis, where he was seeing the other Avengers. Yeah. yeah the, the way it was much. done really was kind of reminiscent, like art wise of how that was portrayed. And I was like, that's interesting. I was for a second, I was wondering if it was going to get into some of the mental health stuff with this. Um, but actually what I thought was most interesting when we're talking about who it had to be the last Ronin. Um, and this is where I get to bring in C.S. Lewis. It's the year of C.S. Lewis. This is great. Um, one of my favorite, I don't know, is this an allegory analogy? I don't know. He's talking about getting close to God and how there's two different ways that you're close to God, either by proximity or by your path, by, you know, actually getting there. And he described it as a village at the bottom of a cliff. And he said, now you might be at the top of that cliff, and you are so close, but you cannot get to God that way. And he says, sometimes your path might take you further away than you were at the top of that cliff to get to the town, but that's how you get to God. You have to do this path. Hmm. And a lot of times you're not as close as you were at the top of that cliff. And I feel like, and I know Mike, it didn't end up with God in the end or, you know, find Jesus. But when I think about this character progression where he had to learn anger first, almost, before he could really get to the peace, he had to get angry. He had to go through all this stuff where, you know, maybe the happy, joyful Mikey was a lot closer to peace or a lot closer to what we might describe as God from by proximity. But he couldn't have got he couldn't have got to true peace without going through this path of anger and all that other stuff in the meantime. And that that part of the story was awesome. I love that. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's absolutely an undertone to this of almost like a reality check sort of sort of thing like ha- like you said having to go through the paces 
in order to fully come full circle in in understanding and establishing that that peace and that resolution and things like that and i think that that's part of what is so resonant about this storytelling model i guess cuz plenty plenty of other stories have this is not like the last ronin took this this story this story plot and used it for the first time he he kevin eastman very is very open about the fact that he loved uh akira tozawa films that he very much took mm. that that was very much an inspiration for him in in writing this and so he, this is this has been done but i think that part of what makes it impactful continuously as we see these different examples of it and things like that is that human element of it because yeah you can throw in understanding you can throw in peace you could throw in uh tranquility uh god whatever you know not 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 to get weird about it but this can take different versions different examples different motifs for different situations and different people but it still kind of comes down to this this idea of having to walk a walk a certain path and go through certain things in order to become the person that you are you know you you look at you and i josh i know that you and i share some of the same uh issues i i guess i'll just leave it at issues and, and you know though though we've we got there two wildly different ways but it bears an impact you know what i mean you walk your path you experience your things you go through your own mountaintop experiences in your own depths of valley and things like that and each one of these things bears an impact and and resolving that as a human matters now obviously that's a that's a there's a whole bunch of context and and this and that for the christian and and all of those kinds of things but on a human level i think that that's something that resonates because so many of us have our own versions of that that are just part of the innate human experience yeah and um that C.S. Lewis reference I'm talking about, actually, that that it's it's an allegory or analogy, whatever it is, it's at the beginning of the Four Loves, which is my favorite C.S. Lewis book, and um, so he's he's specifically talking about love, and that's what makes me think of it on this right because what Lewis is talking about is all of the loves make you like God or close to God, right? Family love is very similar to God because all love is similar to God because God is love, but until you have to give up some of these things, until you're willing to you know, if you're Abram willing to sacrifice your son, you know, whatever it may be until you're willing to go through all of that. And sometimes that means you're not feeling as much love. You can't get to God's love, which is higher. And yeah. And, and that's where I see this with, with Mikey here is until he had to lose these people he was close to until he had to lose some of the love because, you know, they moved on. I don't think he would have been able to mature, you know, um, again, he doesn't find Jesus. That's not what the story is about, <laughs> but he does mature. He is able to kind of mentor someone else. And he has a huge character arc that would not have been possible without losing some of the things where, Hey, maybe that happy joy, fun thing was closer to what we all want. But the thing with more substance comes when you go through the hard path, like Joe was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, and I think that, 
as he journeys through that, his brothers are still with him. You know, he's still entangled. And so their, their voices are in his head or their spirits are there or whatever you want to call it. They're, they're still a part of him and his character and his story. So they, they journey with him through that. So he's, they're almost like force ghosts in a way <laughs> at some points, you know, because they're challenging some, some thoughts or asking certain questions and helping him push through those. So, you know, I, you know, I, I do shrink back a little bit from like, well, you have to go through this hard, horrible thing in order to reach uh, enlightenment or God or love, because I think pain is pain and, and sometimes suffering is, is senseless. And, and so I don't want to be like that friend of Job who's like, well, you're going through this because, you know, you must, God, God must need you to go through this so that you become a deeper person. Um, so I, 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 I tend to get a little hesitant towards those kinds of answers towards problem of pain and suffering, but I see what you're saying. All those things push and, and pull him through because there were supposed to be peace negotiations. You get a little bit of backstory of, of there are supposed to be these things, but there was some double crossing and evil still happening. And so, so yeah, his brother's, could have lived his his master could have lived if there hasn't been this kind of evil double cross uh towards um something that was agreed upon um in this story so yeah and there's disillusionment there's deconstruction and then he finds himself again by by uh, seeing hope in the next generation as well one of the coolest things about about preparing for this is you know, I I have the the benefit of being able to see all of the little idiosyncrasies and all of the little connection points and every little Easter egg and all of those. I'm very close to this thing, and so part of what what is exciting is to be able to get to talk to two people who aren't necessarily as like right in front of it as as I am to see like okay, so what stuck? How did you take this? What did you think of this? What did? They, and so I, I want to touch on that whole, you know. It's not so much about needing to. There's a very fine line in all of this, and I, and I I don't want to stay too off too too far on the qualifying statements because I think the qualifying statements are so just this much of the conversation when the conversation can get like really deep and rich and things like that. But I, there's there is a sect of thinking, there is a mode of thinking that says that you have to go through hell in order to get to heaven, that you have to mm-hmm. go through some kind of searing pain and this and that, but. I, I challenge anybody to say that they haven't gone through a coming of age moment, however that looks like. And and um, I, I'll, I'll say nine times out of 10 because there's an exception to every single rule. Yes, I 100% agree that there is such a thing as senseless pain and senseless suffering and just needless nonsense and things like that. The, the gimmick is that sometimes bad things just happen. That's just the deal. That's probably the hardest thing about the problem of evil is that just something, sometimes bad things just happen. But I, I almost every single time, and I'm going to say almost cause I cannot think of every single time, but almost every single time that I've sat across from somebody who has had a lifelong relationship with God of some kind, some kind of like stabilizing force in their life, the thing that tends to jar them loose to to thinking in new ways and deconstructing and reconstructing and thinking about and inspecting what goes on in their life is some kind of come to Jesus moment, some kind of pain or hardship that, that shook the, that shook the bushes. It could have been finding out something that you thought you knew about the Bible wasn't real or some kind of 
you know, major event in their life. But I think that those kinds of moments at, at a human level oftentimes are the things that that drive us towards seeking more. Now, mind you, I may be a little close to this because I, I came to the cross half dead. Like I was in a bad way when I got saved. And so, but I, I, this also goes into my whole thought process that humans innately, I don't think have the ability to be able to find their way out of a paper bag. So like, I, I don't, I don't think that, that anything short of being smacked in the face with reality will a human desire to change it off of the setting of the self. And so I, I would push back in return a little bit that, yeah, I mean, there, there is a senseless portion of this, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't negate the human experience insofar as, you know, yeah, I, I think a lot of people can, can, can relate with something like this. I'm not saying go and shoot yourself in the foot. So you know what pain is, you know what I mean? Some kind of nonsense like that. There is, yeah, there is that. absolutely a bridge too far with all of this, but I just, I don't know. I think I think there's a reason why so many. Again, this is not this is not new. We are not in anywhere near new territory as far as storytelling goes. So many people. I could name five that are that literally made entire careers off of telling this sort of story over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Just because I brought the Lewis analogy to the table, I feel like I have to be an apologist for it. <laughs> Um, and I also want to say, obviously, I agree. There are such things as senseless pain. Um, we are all on the same page on that. Lewis's story is not that you have to go further away from the village to get there. It's that sometimes your path will be further away. Sometimes it'll be just as close as that cliff. The, the thing that he was warning against was not just trying to imitate all of the fruits of God, not trying to imitate God, not trying to imitate love and joy and all that, but to seek after the real thing. And sometimes that path is going to be messy. That's all. Very good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. People would think on the outside, you're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and how did this lead you down the road of like the problem of pain and suffering, existentialism and character building and becoming a new self or a new person. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a comic book that is leading into big, deep existential questions. So anyway, there you go. I, that's what... Well, Gives me and I'm and having a blast. This is my favorite part about this. this <laughs> I know. I, I, that, so that good. This, just, this, story, this story is one that has those beats that that begs for deep analysis in talking about it and unpacking these things and things like that. So it's it's so funny because I, I came to this with like five bullet points of things that I wanted <laughs> to hit. And I just want you all to know that this is bullet point one. <laughs> Uh, so, so, okay. So that was the big, the, the big reveal and moment of it all being Mikey from the first, uh, issue, all of that. And so we're following Mikey through this whole thing. Um, there's a, uh, a little throwaway piece in this where it talks about some time away that Mikey almost like on a, like a soul journey, you know what I mean? So the, like this pilgrimage of oh, yeah, sorts. Whereas path was further from the village. Yeah. So I, I am, I'm like, this is, I, 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 I'm, we'll get to how it ended. We'll get to like the new characters that got, that got set up. But like, honestly, the diehard in me is like, oh, I want to see that. I want, I, I want 
them to put Kevin Eastman in charge of of penciling it and the writers to from the, from the image run right now to just have a field day in that setting in that period of time. I think that could makes for some fantastic material. Yeah, solid prequel. Yeah. Um. So as we go through this, we are introduced to some new characters, namely one Casey Jones, not the fo- the hockey mask wearing guy, <laughs> right, but right. his daughter. And I, th- I thought that was cool. I thought that fit. I thought that they, that was well, that was well done. I think sometimes, you know, last episode we talked about some of the, um, the Marvel bi- biases that kind of really conflict hard with a story like this. I think for me, I have been a little jaded with Marvel's, uh, Attempts at making well, I should say both of the big two because the big two have really both been been very guilty of this, uh, of creating characters just for the sake of it not being Batman, just for the sake of it not being Bruce Wayne, just for the sake of it not being so and so. We we need to make a new a new person for the new generation and all of those kinds of things. But the problem is, is that it's it's unwarranted, it's unwanted, and it falls flat because most of the time there's very little uh, character building that actually goes into these things. And 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 you look at something like this, and it's like it's only five oversized issues. How much character building could there possibly be? I'll I'll admit everything that they did with Mikey, they basically built up Mikey and then gave her the rub because of it, like gave, put her over in at the, at the sake of Mikey. But like, to me, it all makes sense. You have this, this love story between Casey Jones and April O'Neil. You have that, that's been well-established over time. And so, you know, the, the first leg of it, just the fact that she exists. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I I'm curious to know know what you guys think. I loved. I was over the moon about the fact that they gave her mutant powers by osmosis of the parents being around the turtles. We're talking <laughs> about turtles that were bathed in toxic waste, guys. It only makes sense that the, that that would have generational impact. Yeah, I was wondering, have they ever played before on this idea of the turtles continuing to mutate? Like, uh, you know, by the time, I mean, there's a there's a point in this story arc where Mikey literally looks like the Hulk almost. And it's yeah. like he's getting bigger, he's getting stronger. I'm like, wow, there's the Hulk. Um, so, so is that something that's in continuity within? Because I do like that. I mean, I know that Eastman's a big x-men fan he grew up on 80s you know x-men and that mutation yep. and build it he wanted to create his own and there's a couple of scenes that even look like a team of x-men there uh with uh, somebody with the visor and 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 being a big fan of of um of days of future past that it's believable because when you get days of future past you see these relationships it's almost like out of nowhere but no because you know the characters and you know you can think of like 20 30 years it's going to get to this point and i think with this too yeah it's not surprising they would have a daughter oh it wouldn't be surprising that there's this passing on of having these gifts and then the idea of this mutation being mutated and having the similar powers to pass on i i like that aspect uh, but then again i'm a i'm a x-men uh, you know, Homer, because that's what I grew up on. As you grew up on 
the turtles joe i grew up on x-men so that, that's oh. my jam so that's that's the thing and and so that i love that as i oh cool she's got power oh there's got to continue mutating of course that would make sense if this yeah. can happen with the turtles then of course it can happen with others around them as well they're not the only ones yeah, I, I am very much a, a standard 90s kid in the sense that the the 90s cartoon brought about the awareness of the X-Men for me. And then I found there all, all of the the wonderful story arcs. So yeah, no, X, X-Men is one of those. It's not, it's not the, it's not like, you know, uh, Tokusatsu or Power Rangers or TMNT kind of origin point of being a geek, but pretty quick thereafter it was, it was brought in through the, through the cartoon and stuff. And yeah, I, I, you, this to me, I know, I know he always cites guys like Jack Kirby, guys like Frank Miller being the 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 real inspiration points for him. But this, you can see that by by virtue of something like this, the evidence of of being a fan of of X Men and being influenced by those sorts those sorts of stories and things like that. To answer your question, um, I it's been toyed with, but I to my knowledge, this is the first major uh, canonization, if that's a word, uh, mm-hmm. of the actual concept where this is something that like the mutation continues and, and things like that. And I, I too, you know, w- with, it just made logical sense to me that if, if the mutation started and, and like, if you know anything about science, mutated genes in, in, in the real world, oftentimes lead to things like cancer and stuff like that. That's just a mutating of the genes, but, but that mutation continues. It doesn't happen and then just stop that, that muta- that mutation continues over time. So if you think they, if, you know, this, this has something, this is something strong enough to turn a small turtle into an anthropomorphic bi- bipedal, you know, fighting turtle, then, then it would stand to, if 30 years have passed, then that mutation is going to continue over time and things like that. Whereas fun fact, they, um, again, little Easter egg for, for eagle eyed fans. Um, one of the, uh, death scenes that we get, uh, in the nineties, I think it was, uh, of one of the turtles was, um, Donatello, died from having his his uh shell crushed. There's a scene in the comic where he fall when Mikey falls and they're like he thought he was going to die. It's because it's already been established that a fall like that would crack their shell and kill them. And so the fact that he didn't die from that was like a little nod to a bygone generation of of you know storytelling and things like that. But but yeah, so uh, what about what about you, Josh? What did you think of of the explanation of Casey Jones and the mutation and all of that? I like that Mikey's mutation grew and it, he became more powerful for that. I thought that was kind of a cool, random little hey, hey, that's a neat feature. I really felt like it passing on to Casey was kind of forced, and I, I just felt I don't know. That idea just seemed weird to me, and it—I don't know. That was all. <laughs> well, that wasn't you know. I didn't hate it. I was just like, why? 
So I want you to know, Josh, that in this moment, I feel like how I imagine you felt when we were recording the review of No Way Home. I want to be like, no, 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 no. You just don't understand. You just don't get it. This is why. This is why it's so cool. <laughs> but that's the. That's the joys of playing nice in the sandbox with other people that you can do things like record and have uh, differing opinions, even if Josh is wrong all the time and all the time Josh yeah. is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, uh, I think that's pretty much the same feeling I had for like X-Men. It really feels like I'm like the guy on the outside of, hey, people think this is cool. I don't get it. I don't hate it, but I don't get it. <laughs> A lot of the stories, I'm just like, okay. That's how I feel about 2000s X-Men when it stopped becoming about telling good stories and just making them a stand-in for whoever you wanted them to be a stand-in for. Hot takes, and I'm just going to go ahead and walk away from that landmine. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So so throughout this whole thing, we peppered in, of course, if you're going to kill off the turtles, you got to do it in style. And that's one of the things that that the turtles is kind of known for. If you've been around the tur- about around the turtles fandom, they they do not shy away from killing off the turtles. They you do see some hardcore stuff. For my money, honestly, I think this is some of the most hardcore death depictions of the turtles yeah. that we've uh, I've ever seen. And for me, you know. It, Death is one of those things in comics, it never sticks, so you have a tendency to not take it seriously. Um, that's part of what I loved about what Hickman did, staying with the whole X-Men comparison thing in 2019. That that whole run may have gone completely and totally off the rails and dove right into a dumpster fire. Um, but, but the original establishment of almost subverting the trope but in the most meta way possible of death means nothing so let's make death meaningless sort of thing Mm -hmm. and and that's a whole thing about how they address death in in x-men and all that kind of stuff but if you can make it have weight and have and and have you feel a thing i don't know i thought they did it exquisitely plus or minus rafts i thought it was i thought that was a little on the nose you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. He, he died fighting, which I guess is how he would go out. I mean, I, it does make sense, but it's a little on the nose for me. But other than that, I thought the rest of them were, were chef's kiss. What were your thoughts on, so it really is like another generation that's emerging in this kind of almost dystopia world or different things. But what about the villains, Joe? What, what are, you know, we have the heroes here. What, what are the, the villains here, does this hold up this is this a grand grandkid or kid grand of kid. Shredder? Grandkid of Shredder. Like does how does he hold up for you? Is he more of kind of like that tw- twirling mustache villain, muhaha, or or does he have some dimension there to him of what, what the motivation could be? Because it seems like, you know, they're sitting on top of this ivory tower. They got things under city under control. If uh if if this mutant turtle doesn't get in the way of of a good thing going. So I think the concept plays better than the individual. I think that the, that the main antagonist for this, while I thought it was cool, they called into different parts in the, and and the drones and, and Mm -hmm. the the other periphery uh, characters that are um, for me, 
even better. Everybody, I know Shredder's the big, uh, the big one. But for me, guys like Baxter Stockman, like those, the the drones, everything they do with robots, like there, there's so many really, really cool uh, villains that at least they referenced. I think as far as the main, the main character point for the villains was never going to be anything more than a stand-in for Shredder. And I think it was more about telling right. the story that the the ultimate act of portrayal caught them unaware and it, it kind of forced the hand of this long-standing rivalry that eventually needed to come to its climax. And so yeah, I do think it was it was an interesting take to finally have the bad guy say, you know what, enough of this. It, it, there's a there's a run of of YouTube uh, videos that I always have to laugh at for all of you DBZ fans out there. It's basically like, what if Frieza wouldn't have toyed with the the good guys, and it's just Frieza just murdering everybody at first glance not like the let's power up and let's fight and look nope nope just dead and that's kind of the direction that they took with this and so that part of it i thought was interesting at the individualistic level i think it was uh generic ninja bad guy number five you know what i mean but i think that that's when you look at it in a whole storytelling context, that's where a lot of those sins are forgiven for me anyway. Yeah. I liked how, you know, again, they're leveling up and they're pushing it. Um, but, you know, Shredder had his armor and what he, but at the end of this grand kiddo had his own armor, <laughs> almost like T2 Terminator two armor, you know, that, that was, it was kind of, kind of cool to see how, he armored up there at the end, the climactic battle. Yeah. I think there's a, uh, there's this run that I, I, I'm a huge Hickman fan. You, you can, you can tell by the little, the little nods that I give to Marvel stuff, because generally mm -hmm. if there's a period of Marvel that I've read and that I'm actually knowledgeable about, you could probably guess that more often than not Hickman had his hands in that. And mm -hmm. there's this scene. I can't, I can't remember. I think it's from time runs out. It, where um there's some somewhere there's a there's a marvel fan that's that's good, losing their mind right now because i think i'm going to get this <laughs> reference wrong but there's there's a scene where thor and hyperion are are facing off against certain death and the the panel the last panel reads there was a there was a mighty crack of thunder and then silence it was this whole idea that they know they're riding into death and it's just just two guys just going going out with their sword in hand sort of thing um there's a there's a scene that where where leo and casey jones are you know in the office building and they're surrounded and they just knuckle up and and are basically riding into death and and that's where that's where leo and casey die and i just Oh man, like that, that to me, when you, when you write a character to do the thing that if they're pressed to do, they were going to do that to me is just 
fantastic storytelling. Whereas just leaning into a trope, I think with Raph, it was just leaning into a leaning into a trope. Whereas with these guys, that was their character. That was what they would do in that moment. Just like with the, the Marvel reference of, of um, Thor and Hyperion. What I want you guys to do is sound off over at priest to the geeks. If I just got that reference wrong, that it wasn't time run that time runs <laughs> out. Let me know what the actual reference is. So, um, I, and I wanted to, that you guys kind of touched on this before, and I really wanted to get specifically, will your take on this, because you've had a lot to say, I think you and I have probably been two of the most outspoken people about how well WandaVision specifically addressed grief and, and right. how to handle that and things like that. To me, 100% this read as Mikey's trauma response by still hearing his brothers and still hallucinating his brothers being there. And, and that to me read like a grief response, like a trauma response, like, and, and almost in a way where he is, he's still blaming himself. And so in his mind, his brothers are like hateful and spiteful and always making fun of him. And he's never good enough. And all those kinds of things, because it's his own trauma chasing after him to the point where in the fifth was it the end of the fourth or the or the middle of the fifth i can't remember where he has this moment where he's like all right enough of this quiet yeah. done be gone and mm. and that was just oh that was so cool to have because like you said josh you know you said you thought but i think they did start to touch on the mental illness portion of it, of this like PTSD trauma response where like dude's brothers and father for all intents and purposes got, got systematically killed. And to him, he's now like the last, the last Ronin, but he is the last <laughs> of his family. He is, he is the one that is left behind. So it is his, job to avenge the family i thought that was phenomenal yeah i think whereas wandavision was really on the nose about mental health and it was just that seemed like that was the point of the series was to kind of view that i feel like they did a really good job of making that something he was dealing with without it being the point of the series if that makes sense i would like i don't feel like the point of this series was hey here's what trauma's like yeah, it was yeah, right. definitely a companion with it, not the main thing. Um, what I what I liked about it is, yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's survivor's guilt. They even name it. I think April even talks, says it out loud, the survivor's guilt that he has. And, you know, the, the big reveal of who he is, um, Mikey is, is that, you know, he wakes up and, and April's like, who are you talking to? Like, and that yeah. makes you and that makes you really say, oh, it's not just ghosts. It's not a supernatural thing like they're not there. And right. And I think what along the way, what helps ground him is not the past, but those who are present in him with him now who walk with him, yeah. through, who help him heal. A April's literally helping him heal with medicine and science, but also helping him talk through these things and grounding him. And I think it does a good job with that. That Yeah. I mean, those are the natural process of of relationships is is the pain and the grief when you lose those relationships, whether it's a breakup or, or a death. But I think um, 
April and the relationships that he gets embodied with help him move forward and ground him uh, mm. to not forget the past because as you always carry it with you, but, but to ask, you know, how can I keep moving forward in the now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, for as much as I want to see that inter that interlude, that, that, you know, um, unspoken, I guess, prequel time of Mikey going off and, you know, becoming the last Ronin, like going, going through his, his quest and all that. I, I think for as much as that would be really cool to investigate. And I think there's a lot of storytelling points that, that you could go, you could, you could build out an entire series off of that. I will say for somebody that, you know, I, again, I'm not, I don't, I don't think most of the time comic books have uh, do a very good job of passing the torch. I think that they more often than not fumble because they try to belittle one while making the other one better in a lot of regards. I, I think this sort of the only complaint that I have about the the kind of the the culmination of the relationship between Mikey and Casey and and this this idea of Mikey being Casey sensei and things like that is you know at the end we see Mikey dying in an effort to put an end to everything and mm-hmm. and that's where we see the handoff of the journal that says no peace Whereas it originally it was N O peace. And then you saw it showed he, he wrote K N O W no peace. Mm-hmm. And, and that I thought was a beautiful send off. I just wish we had more time with those two together because I think that that, and, and you, again, there's nothing new under the sun. And so you can point to things like Logan. You can point to things like Old Man Wolverine. You can point to, those are the ones that pop right to the top of my head, but I'm sure that there's countless right. examples of the jaded old mentor being, you know, kind of revitalized in in ways by the plucky younger uh, student and all of those kinds of things. I thought that, that I would have I loved to spend time there and flushing out some of those stories and what Mikey would be like as a as as a teacher and things like that thematically it makes sense that you know this is this is meant to be the ending note to the original mirage comic run if if you ask the creators what were you setting out to do that was what they were setting out to do beyond anything else creating a whole different timeline that you can build out on or anything like that I, I think so. I think for what they were trying to accomplish, aces, A plus every day, twice on Sunday. I think they did exactly what they tried to do. Unfortunately, you read this and you're like, well, wait a minute. What about the, but can't we see more of, you know, no, that's not what the purpose of the story was. But I I, I don't know. I, it, it, I would, I would enjoy seeing, and one hundred percent, I'm biased because I, you know, I, I like the IP enough to 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 enjoy all of the periphery people. So I'm not necessarily married to the fact that every single turtles issue has to have the turtles in it. But like, 
fostering this whole next generation where to the point where we see at the very last closing, the closing shots of the last Ronin, Casey Jones with a whole new set of pet turtles. Yeah. The epilogue. I, I liked what they did with her as a character. I think my problem is there are other new heroes on the line for me that I like a little bit more that I'm a little more interested in. Like if I'm thinking of her putting her in the same like circle as like a Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel or the son of Kal-El that's going on right now. I'm like, she's cool. But if I had to choose, wouldn't be my top of the list. Um, but I'd, I kind of want to see her on her own without any turtles for a little while before they if they do decide to add new turtles. I would like to see her on her own first. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, in her own universe, sure, in the big two and some of the other major superheroes been propped up. I like the idea that with the turtles, there's a new generation and she's got some mutated abilities and she's got in that epilogue that there's hope for another kind of timeline of another generation that almost like turtles beyond like Batman beyond, you know, that you could, you could have that kind of um, aspect. So yeah, I, I would be, if they did a comic with her and, and her own standalone and what, what it would look like before the other, you know, epilogue baby turtles uh, growing up with her and her mom and trying to figure out what their universe would look like without like a big tyrant involved um, and how they rebuild. I would, I'd read that book. I read that book for sure. All right. Anything else to throw in there before we uh, wrap it up? I have two last thoughts. Um, um, I'm trying to think if I want to do silly or sillier first. Um, (laughs) uh, First, first, I just want to say I would like exclusively, even though I think it was either my least favorite or second least favorite issue of the series. I would like issue five alone to just be one of those side scroller levels of Ninja Turtles. Just, they just add a bonus to one of those old games or just, you know, sell me that for like two bucks. I'll five bucks, whatever. I'll play just that issue. And that would be a great side scroller (laughs) level of a game. That would be fun. Um, (laughs) uh, Other news. I think the no hope thing, it was done great in here. It was impactful. It was cool. Uh, and I just think it's really amusing to think of. I could also see a pastor doing that at a church, but it would be a lot cheesier and it would not be that cool. Like I just, right. you know, it's yeah. one of those things yeah. that I'm like uh, in a church setting, man, that's overdone and pretty annoying. But in this setting, Hey, that was pretty impactful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. If I, if I try to do something like that, definitely my daughters would be in the back row rolling their eyes going cringy. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, on the on the wrap up, what do you fellas have for um, recommendations for our lovely listeners? Well, you know, I golly, when we're recording this, there's some there's some great things coming up this summer. This Friday is a big Friday with streaming stuff and all kinds of things. So there's no shortage of things to stream and watch and indulge in uh, over the next few months and of course over the summer. But I did go to a comedy show last night and when we went into the show they took our phones and they put them in like a sealed uh packet and so it was a phone free uh 
entertainment experience. And so you could hold on to it. They just magnetized and sealed up your phone in like this bag. You couldn't get it out. You couldn't see if it's vibrating. Uh, you didn't know who was calling you or was texting. You just couldn't check it because I mean, if it was an emergency, you could go out in the lobby and say, I need my phone because I need to call somebody. But, um, but you had to watch the entire show, the whole two hours without your phone whether recording the show or checking your text messages or getting bored in a bit and checking to see who won the PGA championship. I mean, all those things. So I sat there like it was 1992 and watched a show without checking my phone. And it was pretty cool. So I'm going to recommend and challenge our listeners that as you're watching movies and streamings, put your phone away, put it in another room, cut it off, and just enjoy the art or whatever they're producing. If you get bored, you get bored. Um, go outside, sniff the air without your phone. Um, try to try to try to detach a little bit. And it was very refreshing last night. Very refreshing. So I want you to understand real quick before you jump in, Josh. I want you to understand that I'm over the moon that I finally have an opportunity to say this in authentic conversation. Okay, Boomer. <laughs> Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> That's right. Well, technically, technically I'm a Gen Xer, but yes, put your phones away, kids. Yeah, I'm a Boomer. Out to the Boomer. Put your phone away, kids. Enjoy life. TJ tells me that uh, Boomer isn't actually uh, an uh time frame or you know when you were born it's actually just more about a culture um and he explains that just so that he can tell me that i am in fact a boomer um <laughs> that being said there's a diner in uh disney's hollywood studios that's like a 1950s but it's supposed to make you feel like you're at grandma's kind of thing or they will like go around and yell at you for having your phone out or elbows on the table and <laughs> it's nice. like really old school that's what that made me think of and i'm like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's a that's a great it's one of those hidden gems in Disney that I think everyone should check out, but I can't remember the name of it. Just, you know, look up the diner that won't let you do stuff. I don't know. 1950 diner in Hollywood studios. You'll find it. Um, that That's not my recommendation. though. My recommendation. I found <laughs> recently uh, a graphic novel of Hellboy universe essentials. Uh, and if you aren't like me and haven't read every single Hellboy issue and all of that, and or aren't like obsessed with it and you just kind of want some of the good stories, it doesn't have any of the Hellboy in Hell because that kind of has to all be taken together. But it has some of the issues like uh, pancakes, the very first issue of Hellboy and how he can't go back to hell because he's eating pancakes. Um, <laughs> the Troll Witch, it has a Christmas underground, the Chained Coffin, all of the greatest Hellboy stories. Man, if, if you're just going to want a sampling, a, plat a sampling platter of Hellboy, if you will, Hellboy Universe Essentials, I, I recommend it. Pick it up. Nice. Nice. Uh, for me, I, I'm going to go with my, I, I'm throwing this out to my people. Um, if you like turtles and you are a big fan of the, and, and are of this, this time period, you probably also like Power Rangers. There has been for the last several years, an audio drama that's been being produced. Oh, I think they're getting ready to start season. Yeah. They just wrapped season two and it's called Power Rangers, the audio drama. And it is so well done. If you're looking for something that kind of marries the Boom Studios world with what is established from the TV show, but with like stakes and weight and like rip Chicago, that's all I'm going to say. Like it's it, it's it gets it gets crazy. Um, I would definitely suggest jumping in on it. There's 
it's on uh, podcast catchers as well as YouTube. If you look up uh, Power Rangers, the audio drama, you will find it. Start at the front, uh, start at the beginning, and just work your way through it. Nice. So, all right, that's that's a wrap for you guys. If if you are in need of more geeky goodness, like I said at the top, you can go to systematicgeekology.org and check out our entire backlog of uh, episodes. Or if you are one of our faithful listeners that has gone through the entire catalog and says, I just need more, patreon.com slash systematicgeekology and you'll be able to find some wonderful goodness there. Until next time, we are the priests to the geeks. And remember, we are a chosen people a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.